Hi all, just Matt. After the ad and before we actually get into the show, there was some late breaking news this week that we hadn't quite included in the podcast, but I didn't want to let it pass without marking it. And that is Chuck Hahn has retired uh, from brewing uh, this week. He's retired from Lion, which is very, very sad news. Uh, last year, Chuck celebrated his 50th year of brewing and his thumbprints uh, on the on the brewing landscape just cannot be overestimated. Uh he sent an email uh, to me saying that he has left um, uh, Lion. He'll be doing some consultancy with Lion, uh, continuing to brew uh, a little bit of uh, Kosciuszko Pale Ale, which is a passion project for him uh, at Banjo's uh, up in the Snowy Mountains. But otherwise, he'll be d- just drinking good craft brews and a little bit of consultancies. So we might even see if we can get him on the podcast as a uh, guest host in coming weeks. But this is, as I said, very late-breaking news, so this is not exactly the most thought-through of uh, testimonials, um, but I just didn't want to not acknowledge that in this week's podcast. And uh, keep an eye out because we will be doing a little bit more on the website. And uh, with that, on with the show. Welcome to Brews News Week, recorded on 1st September 2022. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, founder and editor of Brews News, and I'm joined by industry consultant Sabrina Kunz and director and founder of Spotty Dog Brewers and also host of the Step Brewers podcast, Klimt Donahoe. Welcome, Klimt. Welcome Morning. back. Lovely to be on. Yeah, Hi, lovely to be on again. Well, first time on as a co-host of, of uh, Brews News Week, and uh, ha- happy spring to you both. Happy uh, pinching a punch to the first of the month. Oh, can't wait! As you can hear, <laughs> I need winter to be over ASAP. <laughs> it was seventeen year... down in Hobart, so it's beautiful down here at the moment. How is spring in Hobart? I I, I haven't been down to Tassie for far too long. Uh, springs like every other month in Hobart, variable. Uh, but yeah, look, we had 17 degrees and some sunshine last few days, so it's basically summer down here now. <laughs> Beautiful. That's not, well, mate, thank you for joining us uh, for, for your take on the news of the week. And how about we roll in and talk about it? First headline, Coles Liquor focuses on local as sales grow. Sales up at Coles Liquor, but COVID costs hit earnings as the owner of First Choice and Liquorland looks to build both private label brands and local supplier offerings. Amongst the headline numbers, sales in its liquor group grew 2.5% to $3.6 billion. EBIT, however, declined 1.2% to $163 million. Total sales revenue at Coles Group grew 2% to $39.4 billion, with strong online performance in supermarkets and liquor, and EBIT reached $1.9 billion, a slight 0.2% decline, but net profit after tax rose 4.3% to $1.0. Billion. COVID-19 costs of $240 million and project implementation operating costs were blamed for the EBIT decline, although these impacts were largely borne by supermarkets business, while liquor only comprised uh, a minor component. Um, we talked about Endeavour Group last week, yep. and again, uh, the, the, the standout for me is the two biggest retailers for small brewers um, are going big into their own private label brands, which would seem to make them not just the biggest customer of small brewers, but also the biggest competitor. Um, Clint, mm. have you been watching this as a, as a brewery owner yourself? Do you guys retail? Yeah, well, we're, I guess we're at the end where, you know, we've just moved from being sort of a contract or, or nomadic or gypsy brewer, whichever term you like, to our own production. So, you know, in the last three or four weeks, I think we've done oh, we must be coming up to a quarter of our normal annual production. Um, So we're only just starting to hit those sales channels. Um, But in terms of, I guess, from our point of view, looking at, you know, those in-house brands they have, those in-house brands are really all price proposition. Um, And I think less people buying Spotty Dog um, four-packs or or even our limiteds, you know, which are up at, you know, $38, $40 a four-pack, are probably considering that choice. I guess if we were going to go to push into a big volume play um, skew, then maybe we'd look at it a lot more. But for us right now, we're just sort of still in that struggle street of trying to get enough beer out to people, which apparently is a good problem to have. (laughs) Is it a good problem to have? Oh, I'm sick of hearing it, that's for sure. (laughs) For me, in addition to the private label thing, I think there were a couple of standouts, which was, um, you know, there's a, a comment in this article that said the group blamed Omicron for limited social gatherings in the second half of the year and also suggested that customers still preferred larger pack sizes. And last week, I believe, or two weeks ago, we had a discussion 
around direct-to-boot and various other ways that small breweries can actually get their beer directly to um, consumers, but that there had also been a decline in online shopping. And so it sort of seems to say if there's been a decline in purchasing from the largest retailers and a decline in online shopping, there is an overall decline Mm. in alcohol purchasing and consumption, which we know, I mean, you know, the stats are showing that. And yet I'm just not sure as an industry as a whole we're really grappling with not only is the competitive landscape changing in terms of, you know, the retailers are obviously now actual competitors as opposed to just a channel um, and they can prevent a route to market, but that in fact, you know, we're all playing in a in a shrinking pie. Mm. The alcohol the pie is shrinking. Is yeah. we're, we're fighting over a shrinking iceberg. Yeah, and so I, I thought that was interesting. So I sort of joined about eight dots there, but sort of went, well, if, if everybody who's reporting their financials is blaming a different reason for why their particular business can't make money because people aren't purchasing, then that adds up to a larger problem. Um, and then the second thing, and Matt and I had in the office yesterday had sort of a different discussion but about pack sizes and talking about often how sort of limited releases and a lot of the beers that come out of craft that are high alcohol are coming in, you know, 440 mil cans, um, a four-pack, quite expensive but also high alcohol and so you don't want to open them and you don't want to drink them. And this is sort of really coming back to that people are going to these um, retailers to buy slab of lager. Mm. Right? Mm. It's back to that sort of um, what they're selling yep. is sort of what we would have con- considered the traditional thing that you would walk into an old bottle and see, mm. which is the stacked up boxes of Forex and whatever. And that seems to suggest that their data is telling them that is still what they're selling most of. So I just thought mm. those two things were interesting um, data points from what the retailers are prepared to say. Which is probably their lowest margin too, right? Yeah. product. Lowest margin, highest volume. And, 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 and that's yeah. one of the things that I've always thought was interesting about the brewing industry is that the biggest producers, you know, the, 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 the two big ones, their businesses were predicated on a high-volume consumption product. Yeah. Um, you know, low-margin, high-volume consumption product. And really, over the years, they spent very little time trying to build alternatives to that where it's just, you know... It, it, they, they wanted people if they drank one beer to drink a six pack um, and you know walk out with a slab and their business depended on that even as they eroded the brand perception of beer um, with with low carb you know which basically confirms everyone's negative impacts about it and when you layer that over alcohol itself becoming the sugar and fat mm. um, you know the and people are shooing it. Clint, I mean, you guys have obviously opened a brewery. Um, what, what's your thinking about the market? Or, you know, what, what have you guys built your brewery just on the basis of, oh, well, you know, there is a market there, we'll try and serve that? Or have you looked at what the future of the beer and alcohol business is as part of your thinking? I guess a lot of our successes come from, well, sorry, a big chunk of our successes come from out of limited beers. So, you know, talking about, you know, those can sizes and stuff, we had a beer come out last week that was 500 mil cans sort of lasted half an hour online if that um our distro sold it out in under 48 hours um so you can we can move a whole batch very very fast and the online social media marketing sort of does itself because everyone's sharing it and everyone's wanting to get it but that's sort of on the scale we were doing where we were you know using other people's equipment um that's sort of a bit easier to maintain in that regard whereas going to our new facility which when you guys come visit you know, is is massive compared to what we've been doing. So our normal batch sizes are more like 40 heck now instead of, you know, 10 or 20. Um, And we have, you know, a bunch of tanks and they're always available to us as opposed to, you know, being told when we can brew sort of thing. So we've been really looking at it as a team and um, our head brewer um, comes from Big Beer. Um, So we recruited him specifically for that background, Um, not to to produce a, a product that competes with Big Beer, um, but to, I guess to bring that production uh, viewpoint and understanding in in-house to something that's small scale. So we'll still be doing a lot of our limiteds, but I think there's a real issue about to happen in the craft space where um, we're getting tired of the limiteds. I mean, uh, I obviously see a fair bit of them through the podcast, um, but I'm exhausted when I go to a bottle shop now. 
um, and I'm tending to buy a 24 pack of Albert Lager or something yeah. like that. Or um, and 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 to an extent, I think this is probably a pandemic overhang. Um, the the mid strength craft lager down in Tassie is going crazy. Yeah. So mm. Albert, Albert have that blue can that's three and a half percent. Tastes like a full strength lager. That's my dad beer at the moment. I'm going to that a lot. Heads so. of Noosa three point five up our way, and you know there there are a yep, couple of yep. you know analogs to to those uh, nationally, and you know that's one yep. of the, the the things that I've seen over the last decade is you know craft beer re- relied on the excitement of the new and the excite and the passion for of the consumer to go yep. you know particularly the the, the small breweries you know to either buy online, which is a more recent thing, or to drive that two or three suburbs, you know, past a dozen other bottle shops to go to the bottle shop that supports the small independents and gets the more exotic beers in. You have enough bad one-off beers or you have, you know, a life-changing event or interest rates go up and you start looking more at the value that you're getting, you know, let alone the time and the inconvenience of going and seeking it out and... These are all the things that I call the gravity of, of of the business industry. The excitement is what is the upward thrust, but then the constant gravity is the things that pull you back to your old purchasing habits. And I, I really see mm. that kicking in. Yeah, and I think yeah, for us, we've been really looking at that a lot, and like having quite a lot of, I guess, you know, long deep conversations, especially with our new head brewer. He's only been with us a few months, um, and coming from that big background and sort of you know trained in Germany. He's, he's a lager proponent, which is not something we've ever done before. Um, but, you know, in our, in our location we are, we're in a big industrial zone. Um, we've got a huge cellar door that is perfect for functions. Um, you know, there's new products that we need to bring that aren't so unapologetic. You know, most of our big IPAs are 8%, um, bitter as hell, and that's how we like them. Uh, we're not going to stop doing that. We're going to make them the best they can be. But at the same time, if we're going to put out, you know, a spotty dog lager for the first time, something I probably would have laughed at three years ago, you know, or an alt beer or something. Um, you know, we've just had that conversation. Well, let's let's look at people like um, Burley or Heads of Noosa or, I mean, even to an extent, um, the way Bolter go about it. And yep. when we do a limited release or when we do a, a core lager, let's make it the best it can be. And, you know, you've got to win that couple of dollars extra a carton or sometimes, you know, quite a few dollars extra a carton. Um, and we want our, our Tassie locals to really embrace a, a truly Tassie local small family product. Has, bringing it back to, to the, the news um, item with Cole's results, in building your brew house, in you know, looking at the environment, has your business model changed from, you know, I, I think five, six years ago, people were planning on, distribution models and you know becoming you know regional breweries have you guys changed your perception of of what you want to be to being a local um you know having your own retail space and uh, and less distribution um and and even less growth to to try and sustainably be a a a, a local business yeah uh look a, a bit to an extent i think the biggest thing for us was sort of, and, and when people start seeing real photos, um, the opportunity we got to have this cellar door that we have, which is is very one of a kind, um, we sort of looked at that and said, you know what, if, if we're going to do this and if we're going to go go really go big, um, we should, you know, we've got to use that cellar door. We've got to um, have a local audience and, you know, be a destination because we're not, we're not in Salamanca. We're not in the middle of, you know, North Hobart. We're out in a industrial zone where no one would go um except the people who own the the boats that are parked out the sort of front on the uh on the wharf um so really for us we sort of probably when we started five or six years ago we had this idea of you know just doing very pointed ipas and nothing else and not apologizing for anything um but now now we've sort of got more of a focus of we want to bring bring the Tassie to our brand. Um, so our design is always on my back about what's Tasmanian about this. Um, so the, yeah, the big thing people are going to see from us that changes is, yeah, we're going to be pretty focused on local, but all those people who have been asking for beer all these years will hopefully get it now interstate um, instead of me saying no and them saying good problem to have. Um, but we're going to try and bring a real, yeah, a real Tasmanian, I guess, 
flavor to our beer. Um, terrible pun. Because, <laughs> but mate, because uh, I th- I unapologetic think- IPAs and pivoting to, you know, even considering lager is all very stone brewing of you, I think. I know, I know. RIP. <laughs> RIP. I'm just trying to get on that little intro you guys play um, <laughs> on the beer as a conversation. I did, uh, I didn't. All you have to do is say simple, super simple and direct question. (laughs) Yeah, I did meet Greg uh, Greg once, and uh, he quite liked my IPA, so that was really nice. I wasn't invited to uh, to meet him on his uh, last tour of Australia. (laughs) Speaking to a bit of a rock star, (laughs) Um, but yeah, look for us. It's look. There's a I think Tasmania in terms of in terms of brewers, like they're sort of only really in the craft space. What sort of two, maybe four. Decent sized ones. There's a lot of growth down here, um, and we've struggled to to keep up with our demand forever. Um, so that will be a nice change. But yeah, we will. I think we have changed our business model a little bit. But the big unknown for us is this cellar door. You know, once people once people see it, um, I think I think it'll keep us pretty busy. Fun. Moving on to the news, and this was something that was published after the show notes. So I'll uh, throw this in. Hopefully, not surprising you both too much, but. Full year revenues grew this year at Mighty Craft, but losses dipped further after a challenging year and challenging environment, according to the ASX-listed beverage business. Revenue from continuing operations increased considerably to $62.6 million from $20.4 million the year before, um, and cash equivalents sat at $3.7 million. However, losses after income tax increased to $20.4 million, a further drop on the $15.5 million losses it made last year. The business recorded an EBITDA loss of $11.6 million, an improvement of 4% over last year. Mightycraft acknowledged that the losses were significant, but maintained that many of the impacts on its bottom line were one-off costs that will not be ongoing in 2023. Um, that's to Sabrina's point. Mightycraft praised the amazing trajectory of better beer, but also suggested with regards to its other brands that the premiumization trend is here to stay. CEO Mark Hazeman said that there were measures in place to address uh, the issues raised in its full year results, including significant reductions in the overhead cost base. Um, yep. any, any observations there? My observations when I saw these results yesterday were a round of expletives um, <laughs> <laughs> about the situation that Mighty Craft finds itself in. Um, but I think that observation at the end... Um, the summary that I would have is they have one product that is carrying a ASX-listed company with all of the overheads associated with that with a fairly significant and sizable sort of head office and all associated costs for one brand. Um, and so I went... Well, a third of one brand. A third of one brand, right. So, that, so I mean, I think people can figure out what I would say here, but it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good and it's interesting... You know, on one hand, you never want to be negative about people who are trying to innovate and do something different. But for people that came from the brewing industry who thought they could come in and revolutionise craft brewing, um, they haven't done it. And in fact, I think uh, Foghorn was the first brewery that they invested in and now they're selling it off. They're closing their venues um, that they saw as being the future. Um, They've talked about... I mean, they had talked in the past about getting rid of other parts of their craft portfolio, notwithstanding that the whole concept was to nurture small craft businesses. Um, That is clearly now not their strategy. Their strategy is to, I don't know, I don't know what their strategy is, promote their one-third interest in a phenomenon one-off beer. Honestly, like, what is it? We talked about Stone and Wood you know, could never replicate the success of Pacific Ale and better beer seems to be that. But again, the cost base for a craft strategy where I think, you know, they're they're talking about growing one of their biggest craft brands beyond 600,000 litres, which is just microscopic um, in in, in the scheme of things. And you look at the management structure that is, um, you know, extraordinary for... I mean, there's the investments that it's made. If you were an investor and you were looking at the number of managers getting paid significantly mm. versus your return on investment, you would not be pleased. No. So, and so they're uh, making a big thing of better beer, but then also the look over here talking about their spirits. 
um, you know, investments um, that, that are going to take some time to mature that, you know, hopefully extends, I, I suspect, extends the runway for them, um, you know, <laughs> before that people start expecting a return. Clint, how about you? Do you guys sit back and say, gee, I wish they'd invested in us? Oh, not really. Um, not yet, anyway. Sorry if they're listening. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it's, it's interesting. Speak your mind. Um, no, no one listens to this, so you're safe. It's a private little chat between the three of us. <laughs> it's interesting on paper, I think, um, th- their concept and like, you know, like you were saying, what what they set out to do is so solid. Like give pick up some really strong brands. I can't remember who their brands are. Slipstream and... Uh, ballistic up here, Foghorn, oh, uh, Jetty Road. Um, they had interests in the spark, spark uh, change in, uh, and source. So they they, yeah. they put together an interesting yeah. network of brewers, and you mm-hmm. like the idea of accelerating and bringing mm-hmm. the professionalism to those small brewers to give them. But then they laden well, it yeah, with cap- big brewery thinking and cost structures it's, it just seems like a complete um divergence of their strategy it, like I, I, yeah, yeah that, the better beer thing yes i can understand how that might quickly take over your PL and they say they would feel like that's the way um, because it's pumping up revenue numbers which mean nothing when you're selling better beer because it would be such low margin and I assume reasonable cost if it's if it's produced at a big brewery, but I just don't understand if their original concept was take these very good, who most of them in that list are um, small craft brands who have probably terrible distro networks, mm. and give them a big distro network and give them a capital platform to grow. That just sounds so logical, yeah, and, and then the better beer things just—it's a shared back off office, side. right? That makes a lot of sense. Yep. You know, we can have fifty percent of an admin. You know, we can reduce our overall, but instead, all of these businesses have got a massive back office, and that doesn't appear to be making any significant impact on their own. A number on of the breweries have also brought their sales back in house, which was one of the things that they were going to do. And certainly, that makes no sense. They they do have expertise in getting range by the big um, retailers, which is good. Um, and you know, distribution and, and and those sorts of things. But again, you need to sell a lot of beer through. <laughs> you know, so and, and they acknowledge that they've been successful in getting those things into the big brewers. But then that also hurts the margins because the big brewers. Buy it at a big retailers. A big retailers buy it at a lower price. So and you go well. It, where, where's your expertise in not the, understanding this? When yeah, the strategy to your point, Clint, like it feels like from the outside that they are running around and they've gone better beer is going to work. We're gonna we're gonna flog that. We might see that there's some um, spirits coming in the future, and now they're basically shedding sort of the rest of beer because they've come full circle in terms of realising... But even on better beer, I can't see what value they're... And again, this is where, where, they're where, where you don't know as insider because it wasn't their creation, it wasn't their insight. It, you know, go, go listen to the podcast we did with Nick Cogger um, talking about the background. Go read the Better Beer website about how it came about. Um, you know, they... Surely providing some, you know, a capital... In, in it and some assistance there, but the, I mean, the, 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 the beer itself took off because it was the right beer under the right brand at the right time, and Mitercraft had and, nothing and the, to do with that. Yeah. I mean, I would be concerned if I was the if my entire ASX listed company and everything associated was pinning its hopes on being a minority shareholder in a single brand, right? And I especially mean, that br- that brand, like the. Yeah, the obviously they had a surge because of the boys um, and what they can bring to any product. And yeah, they put them in every video. And I'm surprised your friends at what's the advertising guys called? A back. A back. I actually don't think that the inspired unemployed have been nearly as involved, you know, as they could have been to really push that brand. You know, I, I, I yeah, think they that do, they've, they do they've it quite subtly. There. It's a little bit like the surfers in Bolter. They were there, everyone mm. knew it, but they weren't out there flogging the beer. There was a much more... Sub- no. There's a lot more substance to the brand than the Inspired Unemployed. I think okay. 
it yeah, does they well them, they for the, the same reason that the inspired unemployed yeah. do well because it resonates with the, the right demographic. But then it, 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 mm. it's to suggest that that is the only tent pole um, that they have, I, I think is just uh, you know, misreading what that brand is. Can I link it to another mm. news article that we actually have coming up? Of course. Which is um, this um, musician Amy Shark joins Fields Brewing, <laughs> yeah. contract brand. Fields Brewing Co. has announced Australian musician Amy Shark as a new co-owner of the company. Fields co-owner told Brews News that Shark's involvement will be beneficial in promoting the brand. Um, we had a mutual friend who knew Amy and we met her through that mutual friend and she was really interested in the beer industry, I suppose, from a business point of view. The Brisbane-based company first launched 18 months ago with help from Brendale Brewing owner Ryan McCausland. Um, it also does not have a brewery currently instead contract brewing out of Brendale. So I would make a couple of observations. I'm in the brewing industry in Brisbane um, and so are... Uh, the staff at Brews News and when this came in we were like who's Fields Brewing and what are they doing so I felt it must have been a big miss because I, I thought when you go to the website and it looks like <laughs> everything about the brand looks like you know they're talking about local and they're talking about you think there's a brewery that we haven't I, I just thought it was a big a contract brand, but yeah. even if it's a contract brand the fact that it hasn't even penetrated the zeitgeist of people working and looking for brewing-related content in Brisbane it means that it is um, very grassroots. And so, uh, you know, the team here, the, the article sets out that they got in contact with Amy Shark to kind of get her input. It was put through a PR person. And so you sort of go, okay, well, this contract brewing people who have clearly got their sights on, I don't know, what – um, have now gone and gone, the solution is a celebrity ambassador. And she still hasn't posted about it. And that, that is going to save, that is going to make everything work, right? That is the answer to our prayers. Somebody is going to see us. We can now crowdfund probably, get some free money. Then we can do, you know, like. <laughs> um, There's your mistake, Klimt. You haven't crowdfunded. You haven't got a celebrity uh, endorser. And, you know, you're, you're not making better for you. Yeah, I know. But so, oh, like, honestly, I, I just saw this and I was like, it's not quite the Inspired Unemployed who had a genuine, like, they had a relationship with Nick. It, it, it sort of, it felt a bit more um, natural. natural and also sort of they were genuinely interesting. Tristan, this sounds a little bit like I met a guy at a party, beer sounds cool. Beer sounds cool, but also... You know, I don't want to be offensive because I've got all my monies and I don't know what to do with it. So this I'm is what I hate about friend. these stories is that you get a media release and then you go looking and you know they're going, Amy is just thrilled to be a co-owner of... Okay, well, let's speak to Amy and find out you know, what her vision for the brand is and what she thinks of the industry. I oh, know Amy's on tour, but if you submit some questions and let us proof the article, um, you know, we'll, so, so we don't know what how much skin she's got in the game, whether they're just giving her, you know, um, a, a, a equity in return for celebrating it. Mm. You don't know, you know, anything about it, whether she even drinks beer. Um, and we don't get to... And you go, well, how... It, it, it's, it's a little sugar hit of promotion. Mm. This might be like a bit of a, you know, seven seven lines of Kevin Bacon or whatever they call it. You know, back when Pirate Life did their thing and, and was one of the first Aussie brewers to really blow up fast... I remember any time someone talked about Pirate Life, they're like, oh, Nat Fife's involved. I was like, oh, cool, Nat Fife's involved. You know, whatever, he was involved. And then you're talking about the same thing, and bear with me here. You know, Furphy blows up the way it did for being a sort of a cheeky brand and doing something a little different. Bolter come along and they have Sterling, I mean Mick Fanning, um, on board. So, you know, that's something for people to talk about. Do you think that the uninspired employed, inspired unemployed guys – Uninspired and employed. Sounds like all of us, doesn't it? Sounds like the rest of us. Um, Trademark them. They've done this sort of um, beer brand and it's blown up because, I mean, the guys are so popular. They're huge right now. It's blown up. The owners have looked at it and said, oh, we could be the next Furphy. We could be pumping out, you know, a million litres this year and whatever the next, 40 million the next. 
And then these other little brands are looking and saying, oh, all we need is a celebrity endorsement, which you can get quite cheap now. Like you could probably go get it on Cameo for 500 bucks. This is exactly, Um, yeah, Clint, this is exactly my point, mm -hmm. right? These little little breweries now, and this is sort of our competitive landscape, and you've just done the hard way, right? Um, And I'm going to caveat this with there's nothing wrong with being a contract brewer who, you know. All all of that, yeah, yeah. All of the things, so all of the caveats. Um, Mm. But you've got this these folks with limited skim in the game in the industry um, to to make gross assumptions. They probably enjoyed brewing beer in the back of their friend's house and they wanted to get together and they wanted to have their own brand and now they want to – they're looking around and going, what's everybody doing? And this was sort of my joke earlier, but they're going, oh, celebrity endorsement and next it's going to be free cash money from <laughs> from the number of crowd funds, equity crowd funds. Mm-hmm. And so you've just got – the barriers to entry of people joining the industry are low because you can essentially contract. You don't need to own your kit. You can get in. But every time a brand like that comes in, and Matt's made this point previously, and disrupts and takes from another... Takes the cream off a business that might otherwise be viable. Might otherwise be viable because the, the marketplace is getting so big. And so for other businesses, they need to be really clear on how, you know, what is their defensive position, how they countering this but notwithstanding you know we're not involved in all of the individuals businesses when we look across the whole of the industry you just go it must be so frustrating for like businesses that are doing it with a real purpose right like that they've actually identified a reason for existing beyond there are a lot of brands that are just going craft beer is growing it looks like a fun industry i'm going to make one yeah or i really yeah. like making my own beer um, everybody's doing it i can do it right yep. there are actually people that exist that are like i, I want to serve my local community um, I've spent six years thinking about what we're going to do right. We've we've found the lo- – like there are a whole host of people that are really invested. Mm. And, and not to say I don't know anything about field, but that's the thing. That's you know, the point, right? We, we don't know about it. Um, yeah, so. the team at Brandale are really good. They're people. Awesome people. Awesome right. people, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's that's when it's hard because you, you don't want to delegitimize what they're doing, but there's not a lot of information about even when you go digging. Um, yeah, yeah. It's such an interesting one. I think the whole Mighty Craft and what they did with with the boys, I'll be surprised if the other big brands aren't looking at something similar because, I mean, they've already got the capacity. They don't need to contract it out to someone else. Why wouldn't they have, you know, Shaq, Shaq's Stout or something? I don't know. Well, it's it- Something more imaginative than that but that would sell. I, I think that's the thing. That it's so hard to create a brand like Better Beer that, mm. that, that it is, and you know, again, go back and listen to the chat with Nick because you know, as he talked about, yeah, you know, he owned his what he called you know, his failures. I think the word was um, he had some great insights, he had some you know great things, but it, it it is the right product at the right time with the right brand, and you know those tumblers, you know, Fat Yak was another one, and Stonewood Pacific Ale was another one, and you do see them from time to time. You know, um, Pure Blonde. Um, was a beer that mm. had been released as a diet, you know, in almost exactly the same flavour profile, but that style of beer had been launched a couple of times, but it wasn't at the time that men were becoming positively healthy as opposed, you know, they'd always been pitched as a diet beer as opposed to, a, you know, something that was part of a positive, you know, healthy lifestyle trend, which functionally yeah. the same thing, but it's just the marketing and the flavour and, and, and all of that and... You know, Better beer just fits within that. And um, it felt, it feels, yeah. and I hate this word because I think it's so contrived, but like the authenticity of how it started, like it did actually start between a relationship with those yeah. guys. And so to your point, um, and I think this next article actually proves where the big, big players are going to go, which isn't celebrity endorsements, but they are really, um, really watching the tea leaves in terms of what are the products and where should they be making their financial investments? Well, let's get into the next story. $5 million Forex Seltzer Investment Lions Forex Brewery in Milton in Brisbane is set to expand with a $5 million investment, allowing it to focus on the mass production of seltzers and RTDs. Now, that sounds like a production process, doesn't it? But it actually includes a huge bulk ethanol storage facility. Um, Delicious. So we will lodge a development application with the Brisbane City Council in the coming weeks to build a new facility uh, on the current site to ensure that we're doing it in the safest way possible. Hey, hey Matt, yeah. if you needed to build a reliable automated packaging 
line equipment that's handcrafted <laughs> at a new brewery um, <laughs> because you were thinking about building a new production facility. Uh, what would you do, do you think? I think I would, you know, see whether the team at Scar Fabricating were able to uh, help me out because uh, – Support for this episode comes from Scar Fabricating, and Scar Fabricating builds reliable automated packaging line equipment that is handcrafted to make life easier for breweries and their production teams. If you are a brewer, and no doubt you are, or working for a brewery, so bring this to your brewer's attention, looking for the best way to get your product out of the tap room and into the hands of customers, Scar Fab has you covered. With a wide range of depalletizers, custom conveyance, date coating, rinsing and drying systems, and more, Scar Fab specialises in helping breweries of all sizes get their beer from Keg to can. To find out more about how Scarfab can help you sell more beer, visit scarfabricating.com. Today, that's skafabricating.com to get started. And of course, you'll find a link in the show notes and also on the Brews News industry listings. But yeah, no, isn't this an interesting... Thank you. Nice um, little, no, uh, I was just about to say, dear listener, you can't, can't have seen Klimt's face, but he definitely thought that was seamless. <laughs> His face said definitely. that was seamless, guys. I. I just love how much more professional yours are, you know, and the step brewers will just be like, we'll play a stab and be like, yeah, they gave us some cash. <laughs> yeah, look, this is one of the funny um, things because, again, talking about perception of products, White Claw is produced in Australia by Lion. Um, you know, White Claw's brand promise to a new generation of beer drinkers is that it's no sugar, you know, better for you or, you know, has some benefit somehow when it's basically ethanol flavoured with fruit flavours in the same way that, you know, the natural jellies are. You know, it's once upon a time they were fruit at some distant point before it was sent to a laboratory to extract whatever the flavour chemical was um, and then added to basically rocket fuel um, and suddenly put it in a slim can that's white and it looks... But you know what? It's going gangbusters. Is it still going gangbusters? Well, it I don't think it ever be. really just did here, to be honest. Um, I, you know, it, I, I think it's it, a lot it, of, I don't know. Because it was always like, it's going to follow the US, it's going to be this huge thing. And I, like my wife drinks them from time to time um, and she always complains that I won't make a one and I told her it was so easy to make. Um but I always thought, yeah, there was this huge wave of seltzer coming, but I don't know if it was that COVID that killed it. Like it seems like a more social drink than a enjoy on the couch kind of beverage. Yeah, it's interesting. I got into a um, robust discussion with someone um, recently um, who is involved with White Claw and was actually – they were um, talking about how successful it is as a product for Lion. Um, so – I, I don't personally like seltzers. Um, they don't have a use case for me. Um, but uh, And I find it shocking that there's a use case for anyone. Um, but uh, they were the adamant that it played a significant role in growth for Lion. And um, this investment of real dollars in production um, and going through the process of the development approval means that it must be serious business for them because that's not something that they would do. Yeah. Um, you know, my my takeaway was so. You know, to your point around where are these big breweries playing and and what are they looking at strategically? And it's clear that they're building out their whole of beverage offering. Right, they're going. We've got to make sure that we have something when we sell into a business that we've got something of everything. Um, and so I think that's clearly where Lions sort of got a bit of a focus um and then my other thing about this story which is a little bit off topic so maybe we'll save it but is it um i think it's really impressive that the forex brewery given where it sits in brisbane that that site has been able to be protected um and and this article sets out that part of the the development application for that actually continues to include protections for it as a brewery and as a site. There was a story a couple of years ago when they got permission to continue brewing there because once upon a time, Milton, anyone who knows Brisbane knows the Forex breweries, just sits outside the CBD. But that was once an outer suburb, you know, well outside the the, the, the city when it was first built. Um, now it's very much in the city and it's, it's, it's not a great place because you've got all sorts of – you've got to get – your materials into the city and then you've got to get the alcohol out. 
um, in peak hour traffic and it's it's problematic and then you've got... You I mean, know, it's peak development, waterfront yeah. development land. So the fact that it's been retained as brewing and investments are still going in, that it will continue to be in... But the they also have to. Um, you know, there was a... About five years ago, there was a discussion... The, the unions leaked an email saying that it was going to close down because it's a very expensive place to be. Yeah. Um, it's very valuable land. It's also massively underutilised, which mm-hmm. is why this production. And, you know, we, we've seen Lion close at South Australian production facility. It's not, apart from Little Creatures, it's not in WA. Um, you know, it's got uh, Tasmania um, with Bogues. It's got Sydney with Lidcombe and Queensland. So, and those huge facilities are all underutilised. So mm. it needs to, 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 to do this. But there's always going to be that tension between the iconography of the, the you are here and, yeah. um, and, but as they've shown, sooner or later there will come a time when they'll close it down. I know. I, I loved that this said that they're staying for a while. That's mm. what I liked about it. And right. <laughs> just, just on the seltzer thing, uh, I was trying to find there was a great tasting note for that I heard on the um, Drink Beer, Think Beer podcast um, that seltzers were described as, uh, I don't think it was, it, it was like having a shot of vodka while somebody peels a strawberry in the next room or something like that. It was, <laughs> it, it, it was really a flavour nice. note. But uh, when I was going looking for that to see if I could find it, Bloomberg has a great article, Bloomberg Asia edition, is there anything that Gen Z won't drink? Alcohol brands are thinking outside the bottle to fuel and gratify a new drinking culture. Um which, which, which is a really interesting juxtaposition as we're talking about people drinking less alcohol and yet seltzers, which are one of the things that a younger drinker is supposedly, you know, a younger, more informed, more engaged drinker is supposedly drinking, just wants flavoured, you know, artificially flavoured or not artificially, but, you know, deconstructed flavoured alcohol, um, but convince themselves that, there is some meaningful value to <laughs> to the way that they're doing it. I don't know. Could, uh, you guys going to uh, add a seltzer to the lineup at Spotty Dog? Oh, I won't say it because Riley, I had brewers probably listening. Um, I've got a couple of views on it. The I think the 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 mass growth of the sort of seltzer to me is also confusing. It's not something I'm really got into. I've tried them and didn't think much of it, but that's fine. Like if people are enjoying them, there's Clearly, some clever marketing. Um, I mean, taste preferences going on there. Um, I think the one thing that the seltzer does do for the smaller brewer, and I think you guys will know this more than me. I think Wayward maybe they're yeah. in in New South Wales. I think their seltzer production is huge now through um, one of their little sub skinny can brands. Um, and and, and again, look for me, the, in, in in those observations I make about seltzer, none of it is to you know, um, disregard anyone who gets play, you know, McDonald's, you know, w- whatever we eat, you, know, you can eat McDonald's, you can eat a gourmet burger, you can eat a steak um, and, you know, an, an expensive steak, you know, Wagyu. You, you, you can argue that there are differences in, you know, the value that each of those has to or food culture but at the end of the day, we eat to survive and the pleasure that it gives us is deeply personal. So it's none of that is to yeah, undermine, exactly. you know, yeah. if you drink seltzers and also as a business, yep. it's a perfectly legitimate way yep. to keep, okay. I guess I just want to skewer, you know, again, where, where, where the branding and the reality don't match up. Yeah, I think for us, so we've talked about it a little bit. Um, for a tap room, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um I think having an option for people who have, have come down with friends, you might go somewhere with some beer drinkers and I don't like that idea of turning up with a bunch of beer drinkers and feeling uncomfortable and unwelcome in the brewery yep. because you don't drink beer. Yep. Um, so, you know, we'll have Tassie wines and, and some Tassie cider on um, and I can't see why we wouldn't put one extra thing on in the arsenal that, that helped that pe- person visiting with their friends feel welcome um, and seltzers might be exactly that. Exactly the point um, um, that... A Jim Gold from Felons made and um, around non-alc options um, for the exact yeah. same reason, right? The, nowadays, when it's so venue focused, it's that hospitality side of it, which is you would put on yeah. a breadth of offerings to make sure, particularly in a venue, that people that came down in large groups could all be comfortable mm. and, and find something that they enjoy. Absolutely. 
Yeah, it's it's hard to like preach this, you know, um, family venue and everyone welcome thing, and then and then not make options available. So I mean, we've got some great like local um, producers around us who do non-alcoholic stuff as well. So you know, we want to lean on that. Um, I think the the hardest thing for me for the seltzer is how do we how do we bring ourselves to it. So I don't see the point in uh, Tasmanian brand and. If any of the other crew want to do one, go for it. I won't hold it against you. But doing, you know, a mango seltzer, that makes no sense. We don't grow mangoes down well, there. And, and that, that's or a great a point. Tahitian lime. You could do hot water. Makes no <laughs> yeah. sense to me. The, well, the, but the flip side for me is, yeah, you know, and, and what it comes back to is the same when, you know, 10 years ago craft breweries decided they needed to have a cider on and then they would just buy, you know, at, at, at the height of the what is craft debate about brewing and then they would just get... Mm. Concentra- apple concentrate in and fermented up and didn't really care about the quality or the craft of the product. And if yeah. you're a craft brewery and you're going to hold yourself up to be, we are, you know, our beer is something special because it's crafted, whatever that means these days. If you're just going to throw flavoring in ethanol um, or if you're mm. just going to, from, you know, your craft matters or it doesn't. You know, you can't go, well, yeah. for this product line, um, but then we're just going to get all of the food that we, 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 we pump out is just going to be frozen, you know, packaged dim sims. You know, kind of, you know mm. there, there needs to be yeah, some consistency yeah. in the brand. Otherwise, what, what is it you, that you're actually doing? We found that at, um, actually, my, my wife and I, well, she works for Spotty Dog now and runs our um, sort of media and marketing. She, um, we found that at beer festivals, she doesn't drink beer. Um, mm. You know, I took her for a US West Coast tour and I managed to get her to enjoy one beer on the whole trip. <laughs> um, so she always goes for a cider option or if, you know, there's a sour now, she's starting to hit the sours um, or, or, you know, more likely a cider or even a seltzer if there is one. We'd been to uh, beer festivals on the mainland and she tried these, you know, craft ciders you're talking about. You know, we live you know, in Hobart. So we get pretty good cider down here. You know, Willie Smith mm. is on the way to my parents' house, so we always stop there. We, f- we realised quickly how spoilt we are because we were looking at these, like, things that look like sparkling water and being like, that's not cider because we're so used to having, you know, Willie's on tap everywhere. Um, and, yeah, for us it's, yeah, sure, we could get some we could get some concentrate in and make a cider. We could probably get some pretty good apples and, you know, juice them and do all that stuff, but that's not really our core business. So, you know, we've got a great great couple of cideries down here um especially you know willies and franks and simple and all that like why would we yeah try and reinvent the wheel there when we're trying to focus on beer but for the seltzer i think i think there is a a business case for it but i think it needs to as all things fit brand yep so matt if you were going to create a new seltzer brand <laughs> and you i was going to get to that yeah and you needed some new packaging and uh, I, labels i and would stickers. call uh, our good friends at rallings label stickers and packaging because uh, you know they know they know their stuff they're great industry supporters huge supporters <laughs> of the uh, local beer industry and they get stuff done and they make your packaging look brilliant um and you know as, as we all know your labels are your billboard and uh, you know whether you just want something that is white um, that makes your seltzer look healthy or whether you want something with ornate packaging, they can help you out with their shrink sleeves. They can do uh, a whole range of packaging as well for your bottle labels and also your, your packaging. So give the, our good friends at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging a call on 1300 852 235 or email sales at au and see how they can make your brand sing. You can find a link to that in the show notes or also on the uh, business directory um, and last week we missed a great mailbag and we've got a mailbag this week and the mailbag is brought to us by our good friends at Lark Whiskey and we have to sit right down and write myself a letter so I can because uh, I didn't get a bottle um, of the uh, Wolf 5 single malt whiskey but some of our listeners mm. did and they did by sending us a letter and we got a great letter last week um, that we didn't get around to reading I wanted to make sure we included this week and we've also got a letter of the week and Second last week, so you're nearly out of chances to get that really cool Lark Whiskey um, pack that includes a Wolf 5 Single Malt Whiskey, Wolf 5 Johnny Smoke Porter Beer, the Lark Beer Glass and the Lark Glen Can uh, Whiskey Glass. And it was designed to celebrate uh, the fifth year of a shared vision between the House of Lark and Victoria's Wolf of the Willows Brewery. Now, this is probably your only chance to try the Wolf Single Malt Whiskey as well because it's all sold out. I think it launched on the 8th of... August and sold out very, very quickly. Uh, so send us a letter just like Anna Battersby. Um, now, Anna, 
this is the letter of the week last week. Um, great job with news interviews. Thank you very much. Loving the mix of uh, panellists and interviewers. There you go, Clint. I'm, I'm sure she's uh, listening to this loving you right now. Loving you hard. Um, <laughs> oh, nice. Ben Anna says, I've been feeling a bit disconnected from the craft beer scene as last year my husband and I moved to Emerald, Queensland. So I thought I'd take the opportunity to share some of our observations of the beer environment here. Note, as background, we have previously lived in urban centres, overseas and regional coastal towns that have had thriving craft beer communities. Um, we weren't surprised to discover the limited craft beer availability with the town having mostly chain bottle shops, primarily three BWSs, as there are a few breweries in central Queensland with limited distribution. We usually only see the lar- larger craft beer brands, and more so if they have been brought out by the big players. There is also the issue of the craft beer that is available generally being well past its prime. That's, uh, yeah, again, something that I've watched you are starting to see the major brands and just to some extent it is the big retailers that provide that distribution muscle to get beers out into regional centres. How are things in in, in Tassie? I'd imagine that, you know, outside of Hobart and maybe Launceston, you know, all of Tasmania is a regional centre? Yeah, pretty much. And, I mean, you can get around so easy down here too. Like we are a very small place. Mm. Yeah. we actually we actually find our sales guys do quite well at the um the more regional towns like down in the Huon and stuff. We've got really um it, it's driven by the bottle shop managers and owners really. So uh, a really good example is as you know a great a great chain of of sort of a celebrations I think. Yep. Uh, yeah, celebration stores um down here and they have you know towards the south so Kingston, Huonville, that sort of way they have a, a bunch of different stores. And, and they'll order, you know, spotty products or limiteds um, in and then distribute to their own stores or straight to their stores. And they do really well at the regional towns, um, you know, particularly the Huon, uh, where I come from. Um, they do really well down there. Um, but it is driven by the bottle shop owners because we also have, you know, similar stores closer to the city who have, you know, changed who's buying their craft beer. And I go in there and all I see is old cans that are 12 months old from you know, Deschutes or whatever. And you, Not I can, Stone, though, I can because they only put three months on their cans. <laughs> yeah, well, oh, yeah, I haven't had any fresh Stone from there for a very Don't long time. Don't drink Stone sure. in There's Australia, according stuff. to Greg Cook. Sorry. Yeah, why did he send it? Uh, Don't get anyway, me started. The, um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, look, I, look at some, I look at a couple of these fridges, and which used to be standouts for us and used to be the place I would go and buy beer. And I look at the fridges now, and all I can find is nine-month-old American hazies or pails like just a dumping ground um so i think that the it's as much the bottle shop managers and owners connecting with their community and what they want because it's sitting because people don't want it so i mean that sucks for the listener especially if they're you know moved from somewhere that just has all the options to somewhere that doesn't have as many options but i guess um you know have you asked your bottle shop manager what you want to see in or yeah, it's a tough I, one. I also think it depends where you've come from in regional. Like regional Queensland is really remote. Mm. Like it's not mm. – um, if you're in regional Germany or regional England, you are still not far from a major centre. If you are in yeah. um, Winnipeg or, you, you know, really regional Canada or really regional Australia, it is a fundamentally different proposition – to being um, regional in other places. And so I think, um, you know, distribution into those spaces is fundamentally different. Um, You know, we don't have major highways going to all of these places. Um, We don't have rail. It it really is something that would require, to your point, Clint, a local community being like, if we can't get this here, um, you know, we're going to be up in arms. We want this. And actually... That doesn't seem to be happening. But it does, to me, go back to this opportunity that we've been talking about, which is the brew pub model. So actually build Mm. it and brew it on site in that regional town, which may be 500 kilometres from the next regional Mm. town, and you can service that regional. And that is a better value proposition than trying to distribute craft beer from major centres into something so tiny. But also, and, and mm. it, it, it's, it's one of those, I used to talk about, you know, in the days of the um, bitterness wars, you know, the the, the um, IBU wars when... Bring them back. Bring well, them back. But, and, and bring them back <laughs> if that's what you enjoy. But 
I used to describe those beers as being an experience, not a pleasure. It's a little bit like abseiling. It gets the adrenaline racing, but it's not actually something that's a pleasurable activity of itself. And, you know, there are a lot of people that... Um, like pastry beers. Yeah, and, and if, if you are in a city, you're looking for something different, you're looking for something to mark you out, and it's part of your, you know, personal brand identity to, to, to drink these things, that's one thing. There is a very different reason that and, and this is a massive generalization but in western queensland you look like a wanker if you're drinking something you know they, they don't want beers that taste like a fruit cocktail they don't want beers and, and you hear that over oh, and over and I over mean, again white claw isn't really getting its cut through well, well no the the, the, the 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 hops and things like that and they don't want bitterness and they want something that is yeah. refreshing that that is crisp and provides they want a bunch of flowers was one i heard last yeah week. and and so if you make a craft beer you know whatever craft is these days as i keep saying that appeals to that palate. And, and that's where the heads of Noosa guys with their Japanese lager are just nailing it because it's the beer for people yeah. that don't want to drink those, you know, poncy, you know, you know, um, metrosexual fruit beers that uh, you know everyone's talking about. Oh, that's, a, that's a throwback. I no, I was well, just yeah. thinking that. I was just as, I, as I sit here with my <laughs> there, But that's Yeah, but, but there is that mindset. And it's, you know, so it's not just... You can't just transplant an inner city culture um you know because the lifestyle and the tastes and what they're looking for is by and large very mm. very different i was listening to our uh, our mate uh our mate tom out in king Arroy, who's a big fan of you yep. guys and steppies as yep. well because um, he always gives us a little update on this kind of thing and i remember how almost happy he was after bolter sold because he could get a bolter xba pretty yeah. fresh um, down in Kingaroy and you know he's often sent me photos of you know a case of Larry and he's just like you know things are changing up here um, but you know for for someone like him who is on the top top spear of the the craft world and and you know wanting to wanting to get all the good stuff that you would get in in a, in a city bottle shop you know he's gonna have to order his wildflower in yep. and you know I send him a little care package every now and then probably not enough um, and and yeah his local drinkers are very different to to um yeah, to what you would see in that inner city environment. It's just transport yeah. and demand. So now moving on to yeah. this week's letter of the week because uh, we, we do need to wrap up fairly soon. And this email was from Sam Phillips Easto on the Dave McGill podcast uh, that Claire did. Uh, that I'm still working my way through, but it was a great. I'm enjoying it so far. Just wanted to say I really enjoyed the conversation with Dave McGill of Deep South Brewing. Well done on the great interview, Claire. Here, here. Um, I'm a recent graduate of UTAS fermentation associates degree, and it was great to hear how it mentioned it was mentioned in the podcast. The degree was a fantastic education into the science and theory behind all things fermentation, but for most of us, it was about understanding the science of brewing and or distilling. Myself and other students in the fermentation degree were lucky enough to get a tour of Deep South by Dave, who was at the back of the double brew, who was on the back end of a double brew, brew day. Um, his passion for brewing was contagious. He and his partners have done a really good job with the venue and I'd highly recommend anyone who comes to Tassie to go and try one of the best beers, um, second best beers to Spotty <laughs> Dog, uh, Clint, uh, I'll, I'll let us throw in. Oh, mate, and Dave, Peach experiences around. Dave, uh, um, so, oh. yeah, so Sam, thank you for taking the time. All the best and... Uh, Keep us posted with how your, um, if you're a recent graduate of the fermentation degree, about what your brewing plans are. But uh, you will be getting some uh, great Lark whiskey and uh, Johnny Smoke Porter. Nice. Dave McGill is just, yeah, so, has been so good to us young guys coming up through. Not that he's not a young man himself. Um, but, yeah, Dave McGill is one of those blokes in the Tassie scene that, you know, if you if you had a question, you know, obviously try not to bother him now. He's got his own venue because he's flat chat and he's got kids. But if you have a question or something that, you know, you're not sure of, he's kind of like I see him as a bit of a, a godfather to a lot of us. Um, yeah, done heaps for me over the years. And a bloody great bloke. Mm. That venue's great bloke. Yeah, good beard, good people. Um, and Dave's one of... I nearly put a venue and a brewery in that exact building. <laughs> well, we're, we're very, very close to signing the lease. So when he did, I was so excited to see what he was going to do in there. Sounds good. Yeah, it's a real cracker. Well, Clint, thank you very much for joining us. I think you're back again next week because uh, I'm going to be away potentially for three weeks, but definitely next week as I head off for a week's holiday followed by getting to drink tech uh, thanks to our good friends at HPA who are going to be sponsoring our coverage of uh, drink tech bringing the latest you know beer technology and innovations uh, back to to Australians and also convoy um, so uh, I'll be jetting off and I think you're back next week with Sabrina oh how good <laughs> we're gonna be holding down the fort 
You're going to have to be really good with the um, the ad throws. Well, <laughs> oh, I'm just a natural. Bring your A game. But uh, that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Matt Kirkegaard, Sabrina Kunz and Clint Donahue. Uh, the show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Bintani, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, Scarf Fabricating and Lark Whiskey for their support in making this episode possible. Thank you all for listening. You can share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au or leave a review on your favourite podcasting service. And go and listen to the uh, Step Brewers podcast as well for those who listen to us and haven't yet heard... Clint's got quite the radio voice, hasn't he? He's of, uh... we're, we're a fair bit rowdier on the uh, Step Brewers. I, I must say that this is very civilised, doing it in the morning. Over uh, a coffee? Over a coffee, a little espresso. It's very civilised, but... Uh, yeah, if you want to hear the other side of, of the us, other side of beer, we have. But you do you, you do have a yeah. bit of the golden tonsils about you uh, for, for for the morning. So yeah, the, behind the golden microphone. Oh well, look, I'm I'm, lu- I'm lucky to have all the gear here. <laughs> uh, my my co my co-host Ali Davis knows how to pick the right equipment. That's for sure. Wonderful. Well, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us this week, Clinton. Thank you for uh, covering for my absence uh, next week. And with that, we're out. Thank you. you no, no boom. You're not going to. Uh, do the honorary boom? Boom. <laughs> <laughs>